represent her, represents her the best. Not, okay, this image that I was going to show you is of a little boy and a little girl, and they're in their mother's room, and they're in her closet, and the little boy has a hold of a superwoman cape. And he says, see, I told you. And the little girl says, that's how she acts. So for those of you who don't know, this is my wife, Hope Ettore. And she is, besides my mom, because she's watching or listening. Yes. In fact, Josiah and Sam and I had a little argument today about who has the best mama. And they swear it's you. So just <laughs> let's welcome Hope Ettore. She gives the message today. Good morning. Well, before I launch into this Mother's Day message, um, for those of you that are like, oh, God, I'm at church again on Mother's Day and I'm not a mom, so I'm going to get prepared to check out mentally and take a nap for the next half hour or 45 minutes. I assure you that there's something for everybody in this message. I didn't set out for it to be that way, but as I was developing it, I thought, you know, this really, this principle, this truth really applies to everyone. I kind of tailored it from the perspective of things that moms face, but I think that we all, uh, there's, there's a, a spiritual concept, a principle here that I think that we all can apply, so hopefully everybody walks away with, with something. I do want to say before I start that the example that John gave about the uh, sandbag, you know, walking the sandbag around, that was Nana, who moved out here right, where's Nana, there's Nana, Miss Brenda, right after Ava was born, she moved out, at this point we had five kids, and Nana moved out to help us, and little did we know that six weeks later, I was going to break my leg and be in bed for three months, and then ended up being diagnosed with Meniere's disease and was in bed even longer. Nana, and then we ended up with our only child that didn't start sleeping through the night at about seven or eight weeks. Ava had reflux. So for about a year, Nana had the sandbag. Thankfully, she was a little sandbag. On her shoulder, and she would bounce her until the wee, wee hours of the night. She literally lost like 20 or 25 pounds from this little exercise routine they had going on. So... And then morning time, John would get up, and either uh, by then Ava would be conked out and exhausted and come to bed, you know, get in the little bassinet beside me in the bed, or John would take over. But uh, that was Nana. Na and Nana has not stopped. That started, Ava's 12 and a half now. That started 12 and a half years ago, and Nana is still a huge, huge help to us. So I'm going to start with, now how many of you, I'm going to say the word report card, and for many of us that strikes fear, your stomach knots up, report card was not a word that was a happy word in your childhood, but don't fear, I didn't bring you to church, I didn't have you come to church on Mother's Day to be pummeled with how you're getting bad grades on being a mom. So first we're going to start out with what I think is probable of most of you, the mom report card. So if your mom's like mine... Uh, this is probably what her report card looks like. Sacrificing an A+. Plus. My mom is one of the most sacrificial people I have ever known. Um, giving, very giving. Moms are usually very, very giving. Working hard. Moms are some of the hardest workers that there are, especially when they're working for their family and their kids and their husband. Praying for others, especially praying for their kids, always praying for their kids. 
showing love, being protective, you know, all the stories about you don't ever, ever want to get between a mom and her kid if she feels like that you're, you know, her child is unsafe or you're causing her kid any kind of problem. You really see the strength of a mom. And unfortunately, worrying. We can also get an A-plus in worrying. And I would say for many years, if there, if there had been an Olympic event for worrying, I would have been a gold medalist without a doubt. Worked on it my whole life up until the time I had cancer when the Lord kind of, I had kind of a come to Jesus with the Lord, and he's like, okay, we can't do this anymore. But generally, moms can be some of the best uh, worriers. But um, there are other things, and again, don't worry, I'm not going to give us a bad report card, but there are other things that maybe moms feel like uh, they don't have permission to do that I think are important. And so the basis of my message today is called Mom's Permission Slip, and I'm going to give a scriptural basis for self-care. I think moms really struggle with that. Moms have a tendency to put themselves last. Moms have a tendency to let themselves go without while they make sure everyone around them is taken care of. But in a broader sense, I think all of us, I think we are, are used to Um, hearing messages about denying ourselves and being selfless, all the fruit of the spirit uh, messages we hear um, about uh, being other-centered. And that's very important. And sometimes we can live in a kind of narcissistic, all-about-me society. But sometimes I think it's important for us to look at uh, scripturally some self-care principles. So when, we're ten, when we want to do something, when we want to draw a boundary, when we want to take care of ourselves, and we're starting to feel a little guilty, um, I'm going to give you permission from the Word to be able to do that for yourself and to not feel bad about it. So the scripture I want to start with for self-care and stewardship, now this scripture is usually used for um, talking about loving our neighbor, but if you look at it closely, we'll see the, the, the premise for what I'm talking about today. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, and he said unto him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So I think we would all agree, if we start with that last sentence, the first part of it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Most of the time, as I've said, we use the scripture to talk about the need to love our neighbor, and sometimes that's really difficult to love our neighbor. And the standard by which the Lord is giving us to know how much we need to love our neighbor is loving ourselves. So there's an assumption there that we're loving ourselves, and that's hard to say. That's even hard for me to say. My husband does not have problems saying this. If you guys have ever heard him talk about this and give a, uh, a message about deciding to love yourself the way that God loves you. Um, For me, it's a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder. And so, but here's our scriptural basis. It's right there. It's like God's saying you need to love your neighbor, but you're loving your neighbor to the same level that you are loving yourself. And what does that look like? Um, You know, whenever, not long after I was going through the cancer um, treatment, the second time around, I woke up one morning and I heard, as I woke up, I heard this very clearly luxuriate in the goodness of God. And I sat there, and there, there are two things you need to know. I'm, number one, I'm fairly certain I have never used the word luxuriate. <laughs> it wouldn't be my favorite word. Luxuriating is not something I do very often. I would prefer to work. I would prefer to use, honestly, every moment of my day to work than to luxuriate um, So it made me a little uncomfortable, but I really felt like maybe this was the Holy Spirit saying this to me, and I had like a 
uh, a week coming up where I was going to get away and really rest. And you know that you have that, um, you have to make a choice between actually resting or using that time to catch up on stuff like work because you think, well, that'll give me peace of mind. So yeah, that's, that's just like resting because I'm going to get rest, right? No. So it was the Lord really telling me, you need to bask in my goodness. You need to rest. You need to enjoy all the gifts that I've given you and all the blessings that I've given you. And that's just something for me personally and as a mom that I had a real difficult time doing. So hopefully at the end of this message, you guys can go out and um, learn to luxuriate um, in the blessings of God. Amen. <laughs> now... All of these points, are you're going to see, they're sermons in and of themselves. And don't worry, I'm not going to preach a full sermon on each of these points. I don't have a lot of time to land on one and spend the amount of time that it really deserves. But what I hope is, as we go through it, you recognize, well, I know this. Well, I know that. Oh, that one maybe I can work on. And maybe you have one or two things. Because here's the reality. You're not going to be able to go out of here and, and probably this week implement all seven things. Um, and especially for moms that are in a crazy, crazy demanding season, you'll may, you may be lucky if you accomplish one of these in a week, and that's okay. Because there were definitely weeks of my life where I didn't hit any of these. Um, but we're, I'm going to help you understand why it's important to prioritize it. Just like you would prioritize your baby's well visit at the doctor, because that's important to their health, it's important to you to prioritize some of these things for your, for your health. So if you find yourself... Uh, often anxious, depressed, angry, grumpy. Maybe one of these things are, are missing. So the mom's permission slip. Um, number one, you have permission to ask for and receive help. This is a hard one for us, and there's a couple reasons why it's hard. First, let me read the, the scriptures, and then we'll talk about why this is hard. The first one is bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So there's a command right there to help one another bear our burdens, whatever they are. Emotional burdens, physical burdens, spiritual burdens. We're supposed to help one another with our loads. And number two, this is a really good one, and you've probably heard John preach messages on this before. God is for me among those who help me. And so basically what that's saying is God is working through other people. God is trying to help you through his people. And that was a really hard one for me. I spent many years putting up walls because I didn't like being vulnerable. I didn't like being criticized. It was easier for me, especially in ministry, to just do everything myself, to not allow people in to help because I just, I just didn't like the vulnerability. I didn't want to risk being hurt. I didn't want to risk being criticized. But um, a couple of things happen when we don't do that. Number one, we don't allow God to help us. We're missing out on God's divine help. And, and we're not allowing people to show us love and bless us and honestly to use their spiritual gifts. This is how we all use our spiritual gifts in a body is by meeting one another's needs. It really is an erroneous model. I think sometimes in America we think of the church as the full-time clergy are the ones that's meeting everyone's needs. That's not the church, and it never was the church. The model of the church is everybody comes with their gifts and meets one another's needs. That's the way it's supposed to be. And so when we block people, not only is it bad for us, it's bad for them. And, and we're not allowing God to do what he wants to do in our lives. And so I really had to learn that when I got sick. We, got to, we just couldn't do it. We had too many darn kids and too much going on, and I was out of commission for a year, and 
Nana and John couldn't do it all. And so we had a tremendous outpouring. And the Lord really showed me, why are you focusing on the people that you're fearful are going to hurt you or criticize you? Look at this. Look at all this love. Look at all the support. This is the church. Why are you focusing on the 1% who will send you a nasty email? Instead of all these people that are sending you cards and texts and bringing food and, and calling you and checking in with you, right? Um, and so it's okay to not pretend that you can do everything and that you've got it all together. So let's all stop pretending. Sometimes there's like the mom competition about who's being the best mom, who's got it all together. And that's a joke about him with the, with the cape. Look, for real, talk to my kids. There's four down here, one in the back and one in nursery. Ask any of them. I have my moments. Um, but let's all stop pretending and acknowledge we can't do it all. We're not perfect, and we need each other. We need each other to help one another. Um, the second reason I think we have a problem asking for and receiving help is, at least for me, I'm a perfectionist, so I'm going to own this, is I want things done the right way. And sometimes I think, well, it's easier for me just to do it than to explain how to do it to somebody else or have to go behind. And so that was my excuse for literally doing Way too much stuff around our house for a long time. So you can imagine what the laundry looks like at our house. It is a lot. It is a lot of laundry. And I did it by myself every day. I did a load every day. And and I didn't complain about doing it, but John's like, you know, he'd come in. And I'd be in the middle of it. He's like, this is ridiculous. You need to be having the kids help you this. I I can't. You don't understand. It's going to be terrible. It's not going to be done right. It's going to go on the run. The next day, Hope, I really think you need to get the kids down here to help you with this. No, you don't understand because it's going to cost me more. This went on for probably years until the Lord used the little cancer journey in my life. And it's like, I can't do all this anymore. It's just not possible. So now, guess what? She'll listen to him. So now, as many of you know, Sam is a laundry champion. Okay, first of all. He knows every model of every washer and dryer, every cycle, literally all I have to say, and I don't have to worry about anything getting ruined. Literally all I have to say is, Sam, I think there's a jumbo color load and it is done. (laughs) He is in there. He knows the soaps. He knows the cycles. He knows what to put it in in the dryer. If he feels like there are particular cycles that haven't been used in a while, he'll be like, mom, you know, we haven't done a heavy duty load in a while. (laughs) And I'm like... Sam, the next time I have a bunch of jeans, I promise we'll do a heavy duty load. Okay, but here's where it gets dicey. Okay, I really don't have a fear of him messing up anything because seriously, he knows his laundry. It's amazing. Um, Where it gets dicey is if you have ever tried to sort underwear and socks for nine people, it is crazy. And when like two of them here are the same size and three of them here are the same size, three of us in the house wear the same size jeans, it's like crazy. And so, and plus, I'll just have to be honest, my little folder helpers, okay, it's just sad looking, okay? But I've just had to let it go. I've just had to let it go because everything, Josiah's gotten very good. Whenever he puts his mind to it, he can really fold a shirt in an amazing way when when he sets his mind to it. But here's what happens. Every single time, guess what? Wrong laundry gets put in the wrong piles. And you know what? The world didn't end. 
didn't end, and I didn't have to do it. So here's what happens. Here's what they do. They bring, I put, we put their stacks on the stairs, and they know they have to take it up. They go upstairs. They start putting their stuff up. They're like, oh, this isn't mine. Oh, this isn't mine. Here's what they do. They throw it out their door <laughs> into the landing where all the kids are upstairs. So, and then here's the routine. You walk by, and you think, oh, Lily got my jeans. You grab them. You go to your room. And that's just how it works. <laughs> and it's all okay. It's all okay. Here's the other thing, grocery shopping. The pantry, oh, if my mother-in-law is listening to this, you don't want to know that the pantry is just a disaster after you, after you organized it. My mother-in-law did such a great job, but here's the deal. Nana and I would have to be the ones that always unloaded the groceries for it to stay that way, right? Which means, once again, we're doing everything. So at some point, you just give up and say, kids, get in here and put stuff up. You know, I've been on my feet shopping. I've been on my feet all day. You can do it. So... About two weeks ago, I had, I had, this, I had bought this uh, fresh pasta on sale at the grocery store. You know, I usually don't buy that kind of stuff, but it was on sale. It was a couple of bags of fresh, uh, the fresh tortellini with chicken and something. And I had it on my little meal plan, and we are ready to have it, and Bella was excited about it. I had bought some pesto. So I go into the fridge, and it's not there. And we have a big fridge crammed full of stuff. So I'm digging around, and things get lost, and they're open. I mean, it's like we oftentimes, literally, there are times we've had four bottles of ketchup because people didn't take the time to dig and just find it, and they keep opening new ones, you know? So this is how our fridge is. And so I'm not seeing it. So I'm like, maybe it got put in the freezer. We have two freezers. I look in this freezer. It's not there. I go in the freezer. And I thought, oh, no. I walk into the pantry, and there's my $13 worth of fresh tortellini, chicken and artichoke that now has to be thrown in the trash because it's been in there for like four days and it's ruined. But guess what? We ate that night. We ate. The world didn't end. Did I enjoy doing that? No. But is it worth the time, number one, that I'm not doing absolutely everything in the house, me, Nana, and, and John? Yes. Is it worth teaching my kids that they need to chip in and help out? Yes, it is. So um, hopefully you will feel more licensed to maybe accept help from your kids and accept that maybe it's not going to be just exactly the way that you do it. Number two, you have permission to take devotional time. The scriptures here. Oh, I have the wrong, I have the wrong, um, order. So I'm going to jump to, I'm going to jump to, here we go. I'm going to jump to prioritize nutrition, exercise, and sleep. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Now, we use the scripture for a lot of different types of messages, um, certainly for um, not doing things that abuse our body, but... Um, I think it also applies to just prioritizing healthy habits because um, moms, again, especially during the high, high demand season, will have a tendency to put themselves last and not prioritize this. And I have to be honest, on this whole list, this would probably be the one that I'm struggling with most right now during this season because um, the, a lot of the meds that I'm on, the endocrine therapy I'm on for the breast cancer just makes me have fatigue all the time. And honestly, the last thing I want to do is exercise right now. And um, because I have to have a certain kind of diet compared to my family, a lot of times it's like I make them their meal and I sit down and eat salt-free tortilla chips. Okay, I'm confessing. 
And if Bella were here, she would be giving me the evil eye. Because in addition to baking in an amazing way, as you guys, if you have a Facebook and you see it, she is a health fanatic. And she's always lecturing me about surviving on coffee and uh, not much else before about 1 p.m. But I'm going to change. This is going to be the one that I'm focused on. Um, our children, you know, we can, like, hope that our kids are going to develop healthy habits as adults. But the reality is they're not going to do it if they don't see us doing it, Right? So if we want our kids to develop a lifestyle of exercise and of health and getting good sleep, it's going to be hard for them to do it if they're not seeing us do it. We can tell them, you know, you need to get off the couch and exercise. But if we're on the couch on our social media, that's not going to have a lot of impact, right? Um, If we are not prioritizing, sometimes as moms, I think, um, like our diet can become eating whatever's left over, right, because we want to be resourceful and not waste food, or eating what's left on the kids' plates. But there came a time where Bella said to me, one time she says, Mom, you're worth taking the time to, to make a nice salad, you know. You can make yourself a nice salad. You don't have to, you're not responsible to make sure that, that, that food isn't wasted. Take care of yourself. Eat what's, what's healthy. Don't do that to yourself. And, I would, and, and again, we can go through crazy seasons of life where there are things that are easier, but um, prioritize eating healthy, exercising, uh, one thing I remember when I had littles, and it was very hard for me to get away to exercise on my own. You can ask Lily and Ava and even Sam. This may have been, I don't know if just we had adopted Josiah or not, and Bella. There were days, here's how I did it. We all laid on the living room floor and exercised. And they thought it was the greatest thing ever, right? And even the dog would get in there and do it. Um, but and it was, was it my ideal not necessarily. Was it, did I make as much progress as I would have made if I was at the gym or if I was able to leave the house and go run or something? Maybe not, but it served a couple of, it served several purposes. Number one, I was doing something. I was moving. You know, some days you just need to get up and move a little bit. That's, that's better than where you were the day before, right? Um, but also, I was spending time with them, and I was also modeling these habits for them, right? So my rule at this season of life is every day do something, you know, my standards used to be very, very high. I used to work out a lot. I'm way busier now, and my health is different. And so where I've gotten to the last couple of weeks is do something every day. Move a little bit every day. But um, don't let this fall by the wayside. Don't let the nutrition exercise. Sleep is hard when you have little littles, I know. Um, thankfully, I have a husband who can rearrange his schedule multiple times a week to let me sleep whenever I'm just sleep-deprived. Thank you so much. Um, If you can find a way to rearrange your schedule, ask a relative, ask your husband, um, trade off with a a neighbor to just get a nap break. Sometimes that can change your whole perspective on life. When when you walk around sleep-deprived, it changes your whole perspective on life. Okay, next. Take devotional time. Make time for spiritual growth. Here's the scripture. And it is impossible to please God without faith. He rewards those that sincerely seek him. So first, I think we've all heard the scripture before, and there it is. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, how are we going to get faith? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, obviously, it's important to come to church and to hear messages, but you need more than a once a week coming and hearing someone else preach a sermon. We really need to be giving opportunity to God every week to speak into our lives personally about the things we're praying about, about our specific needs. Very often there'll be a word and a message that speaks directly to you, but 
usually it's going to be in our own devotional one-on-one with God that he's really able to speak to us and do the work in us that needs to happen. And if we're not making time for that, um, how is he going to do that, right? Um, You guys may remember the story of right before I was diagnosed, um, I had been spending time on a Sunday morning. I'd gotten up at 5.30 a.m. because that's the way it had to be if I was going to get some quiet time in before other people started getting up and getting ready for church. And I'm praying, and I heard the Lord say, plan for longevity. And I had no idea what that meant. And I don't often, you know, I know before I said I heard luxuriate in the goodness of God, but it's really not that often. It, I will go months before I, without feeling like I really heard something. But I wrote it down, and I told John, and we even talked about it the next day. I had no idea what it meant. He's like, what do you think that meant? I'm like, I really don't know, but... We'll see. And it was the very next day I got the phone call that my uh, mammogram had come back abnormal. And then from there, it was pretty much bad news after bad news for about the next month. And I can't tell you how that word anchored me in not spinning out into fear. It all made sense because I had given time for the Holy Spirit to speak to me and say, plan on longevity. Look, you're going to walk through a valley, but plan for longevity. And it really, really whenever we'd get a bad report or anything, uh, that word from God that I got from him really kept me, kept my uh, rudder straight. Um, you guys have probably heard about Susanna Wesley. The story that's most often told about her is her um, prayer style. She had 19 kids. Um, nine of them died in infancy. She had 10 kids. Her husband was a pastor who was gone most of the time like gone for months, sometimes years. Uh, there was one account where he had gone to, uh, he had gone to London to defend a colleague who was accused of heresy, and he was gone a year. And uh, by most accounts, he was not the greatest spiritual leader ever known. Um, he uh, spent his entire career exegeting the book of Job, and never really spent all his uh, family's finances on that. Went to jail twice for... Um, to debtor's prison for not handling his finances well. And I say all this to say, Susanna Wesley really was the leader of the home. She had to be. Because she worked with no money, absent uh, father. And if you guys know, the significance of Susanna Wesley is she's known as the mother of Methodism because her sons, John and Charles Wesley, went on to found, uh, uh, they founded the Methodist Church and the Wesleyan Church. Um, her house burned down twice. Um, lost, uh, like, like I said, 10, sh- 10 infants. Um, why am I saying all this? Because she, one thing you will read about her, the way that she was able to overcome tremendous adversity was every day in the midst of chaos, she would sit down, pull her apron over her head. Because, look, back then you didn't have a big house with, you know, 10 rooms. You're usually in like a one- or two-room house. She's got 10 kids. She would sit in a rocking chair she would pull the apron over her head and she would have her prayer time. She'd read her Bible and have her prayer time. And that's how, in the midst of very, very hard circumstances, she ended up raising two of the most prolific spiritual leaders of modern time. I mean, honestly, they didn't get it from their dad because he was never there. All accounts that you read about him, I don't think he was a horrible guy, but he wasn't there. Um, But the way that she, you know the other thing, just interestingly, not to make us moms feel like failures today, but... She, at age of five, she would start homeschooling, and they had to sit in the classroom six hours a day, every day. 
every day. That's the way it was. You turned five, you, you were homeschooled for six hours. She was very, very structured. And the other thing, when you read her readings, she knew, having a big family, how important it was to spend one-on-one time. Every day, she spent an hour with a different kid, and she rotated it every day. So she was spending one-on-one time. A lot of it, from what I understand, was spiritual formation kind of stuff with her kids. So she was really amazing, and I am convinced it all goes back to this time. Without this devotional time she was spending with God, her life was nuts. It was this devotional time that kept her afloat. She's got writings now. Her, her husband, you don't hear about any of his works, the exegesis of Job. There are devotional words, works that she wrote. There are sermons that she wrote. And, of course, there's all the prolific work that, that her sons did, and I'm totally sure it came out of this devotional time that she protected by pulling an apron over her head um, every day. Okay, next. Cultivate life-giving, fr- life-giving friendships. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. That's huge. Sometimes we can get in a bad place internally. We can socially isolate ourselves, and then it's just a downward spiral. Sometimes our tendency is to pull away. Uh, What we need to do is really plug into those relationships with people. Now, I'm not talking about... um, You know, I'm talking about mutually beneficial friendships. Sometimes we have friendships where there are people that just drag you down. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about people that can suck the life out of you. I'm talking about mutually beneficial, encouraging friendships, people that make you laugh. Um, I've got friends from different spheres of life. So I have friends at church. I have friends in my professional life that we're all kind of going through the, you know, the same things. I have friends, my, some of my, uh, kids, moms, we're kind of in the same season with, with kid raising. I have friends in different uh, spheres of, of life. And that was one thing I had really, really, uh, the busier our life gets, I really had stopped messing with. Because I'm like, I don't have time. I barely have time to breathe. I'm not going to schedule these kind of things. And then I really became to learn, uh, again, after I came out of my health trial, this is really important. It's important spiritually. It's important emotionally. It's important physically. Um, so it's important, uh, even whenever you're taking your, ki- you know, your kids, you're making time for them to go to mommy and me and play dates. Make sure you're making time for you to connect um, with life-giving friendships. Let's see. Next, have fun. Do you guys know why? You, have you guys know? Well, let me read the scripture. A cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. So... Probably everyone in here, unless you, you know, never read anything, know that studies show that laughing and having fun is good for your health. And there could be many um, complex explanations I could give you for that. But the basic, you know, one of the very basic reasons why is when you're happy, you're laughing, your brain's releasing endorphins, and that's helping support your immune system and you're staying healthy. That's a very basic explanation. Conversely, if you're stressed a lot and your body's producing a lot of cortisol all the time, that's causing widespread inflammation. That's why whenever people are stressed, they get sick a lot, because number one, they're probably not getting enough sleep, but also their brain's releasing a lot of cortisol, which hampers your immune system, and also is causing inflammation, which you may or may not know inflammation is like the precursor to everything. Lots and lots of illnesses, right? 
So it's honestly, it's really, really good for your health to schedule something completely. If you like to craft, I'm not a crafty person. That's my kids. I'm horrible. I'm no, no help to them during school projects. I'm terrible. You know I'm terrible. No, no. Not, not compared to some of the gals in here. So if you're crafty, it could be as simple as just setting aside two hours to do something that you find enjoying. I know that Gary likes woodworking. Setting aside time to go in his garage and just block out everything out and just do that. For me, I like nature. I like taking walks. I like baking, although now I can just let Bella do that and eat it. Um, um, I like dogs, and oh my goodness, a dog rescue moved in back behind us. So I get to go back there and play with her dogs and walk her dogs. Um, You know, it seems... um, like a small thing, but it's really, really, you know, honestly, giving yourself something to look forward to. When you've got a whole week of adulting to do, and um, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I've got this meeting, I've got that and that, and you know that Thursday you've set aside some time to re- catch up on a book that you've wanted to read, go to the beach, um, something. Make a little window for yourself in the week to just have fun, no other agenda, not working, not accomplishing anything else, just doing something you find fun that can release some of those endorphins in your brain. Okay, next. This is a huge one. Implement Sabbath rest. Okay, I am not qualified, honestly, to preach a message on the Sabbath, although I think it's worth it. I think that John or Mark should preach a message on the Sabbath at some point because it is so, so important. And it's, it's that commandment that we pay the least amount of attention to. And sometimes I think we think that going to church is um, keeping the Sabbath, and that really is very little to do with keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath rest, um, let me read the scripture. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be ref- refreshed. So what it's saying there is, and and this is from God, we need to be refreshed. And here's the reality. When we try to push through that and think, I don't have time for that, I don't need that, we're basically telling the creator of the universe who made us. Here's the reality. He made us. He knows what we need. And he is saying, you need to take a Sabbath rest because you need to be refreshed. Look, and I know when I don't, I just get... I end up getting sick, I end up barely functioning, because we need a day to recharge. Now, is that realistic for a lot of people? It's very hard for a lot of people, and I'm, I'm just going to acknowledge that. It's hard for me sometimes. There are some weeks I'm like, okay, I'm going to get at least a half day where I get up, I don't have to do anything, I don't have to go anywhere, I spend time in my Bible, I spend time praying, I'm nothing but being refreshed. Number one, because it's a commandment, not a suggestion. I mean, it is one of the Ten Commandments. And yet we feel free to go about our lives like, yeah, that's a nice idea. Maybe I'll have a season of life where that's realistic, but it's not right now. Uh, It didn't really say um, this is a suggestion whenever it works out for you. And so I've learned I have to do it. And, it and, and I'll keep getting this revelation, and then I'll allow things to crowd in, and then I really feel like the Holy Spirit will hit home with me. You're not doing it. I start getting tired. I start getting run down. And like even this week, there was one day Josiah's birthday was this week, and we spent Monday having an amazing birthday day, if you guys saw it on Facebook. But then it was like Tuesday night or something. He said, oh, mom, you need to bring, I need to bring donuts to my class because I forgot to do that on Monday, like tomorrow morning. 
And, I, and that was going to be my rest day. I said, nope, I'm not doing it. <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to get to bring donuts. I'm like, well, I'm not doing it. I said, I've got to rest. This, that is my rest day. Because here's what happens. If I say yes to that, and then I say yes to something else, and then I say yes to something else, and then my rest day is completely gone. There is no Sabbath. There is no rest, right? So I was tempted to feel like a mean mom, although we had done amazing stuff on Monday. I did feel like a mean mom saying, no, I'm not going to bring donuts to your class. But in principle, you got to do what you got to do to protect your Sabbath, to protect your rest. And so then dad got dad of the year because then he said he would do it. So then, yeah. But look, I'm telling you, it's hard. Maybe start off with half a day. And when you're in a season with really small kids, every day's a work day. You know, Uh, you got to get up at 5 a.m. You've got feedings, you've got diaper changes, you've got. I mean, it's not always realistic. Whatever it looks like for your season, um, do that. But I I think as a principle, it's really important. And here is the last one. Cast your cares. Really. So I think there's the um, proverbial mom that's always worried about her kids, right? Moms always carry their kids in their heart. And they talk about how no matter how old they get, they're always going to be worried about it. Always um, always be concerned and always be praying for them. And that's good. Of course, we're always going to be concerned. We're always going to want to be involved. We're always going to be praying. The question is the worrying part and uh, how much of that is godly and how much of it is not and where the line is between caring genuine, uh, legitimate concern and when it takes root and festers into something unhealthy that steals our energy and our joy and and uh, everything else, right? And so, uh, again, referencing back to my health uh, journey, you know, honestly, the Lord, dis- the, it was just one of those Lords like, we're done with this. Because like I said, I was a worrying queen about everything. Everything. Especially my kids. Worried, I worried about everything. And I realized coming out of it, I can't do this anymore. I cannot. I cannot carry this anymore and expect to have um, a profitable life, to have... Uh, healthy relationships with my kids, to have a healthy body, to spend so much time worrying about things. Um, it really is a litmus test of our trust in God. And the revelation that I got was when I'm worrying all the time, every moment of that time I'm saying, I don't trust you, God. So either I trust him and I let it go. Now, I'm not saying that we don't, aren't ever affected or penetrated by things, but what do we do with it once we get it? We pray about it. We wrestle with it. And then we give it to God. And then we walk on. Uh, you know, it can be annoying to John sometimes. I'll say, yep, I'm not going to worry about that. Yep, I'm not worrying about that. He'll start talking about something and I just interrupt him. Yep, not worrying about that. <laughs> but that's the place that I am in my life. I just, I can't take it on anymore. I'm not going to. And I trust God that he loves my kids more than I do. And he sees everything I'm going through. And me continuing to carry it and carry it and carry it doesn't, do, it doesn't make God move any quicker. And it certainly doesn't change the situation. It just harms me. Right? And so one of the biblical examples of this, I, there's a part that I don't know if people really uh, focus in. It's what really struck me, this, this particular story. It's the story of Hannah um, in 1 Samuel. Hannah, who was married to Elkanah, and she couldn't have children. And uh, then, so he took another wife, Penina or Penina, I don't know how you say that name. Uh, And Penina just starts cranking out kids. 
And then to make matters worse, she starts taunting and teasing Hannah for her barrenness and making her feel awful. And so Hannah goes to the temple, and she's in there desperate. Because to the degree that these days people would like to have kids that can't, back then, that was pretty much the woman's only value, was the ability to have kids and have male children, right? So, like, she feels like a social zero. Um, She feels like her whole life has culminated to this moment to nothing. She can't do it. She's just, like, wasted space. So she's in the temple, and she's crying and just beside herself to the point that Eli thought she was drunk and the priest Eli the priest came up to her and said woman you know you should stop your drinking and she said oh no I'm not I haven't been drinking I'm just crying out to the Lord and he said for what and she said I haven't been able to have a child and I just want the Lord to give me a child and he said um go on your way and you will have the Lord will give you your wish and it's the part right after that that I think is so cool. She has spent her whole life being, or her whole adult life, being upset and tormented. She's in the temple. She's crying to the point that they think she's drunk. And in a minute, when she got, in that second she got the word, it said her countenance returned. She was refreshed and she went on her way. She believed God. That was it. It was over. And guess what? She got pregnant. She made a commitment to God that she was going to commit this child to his service. And so the scripture says she nursed the child back in those days. Weaning was between three and five years old. So if you can imagine doing this, you take your three or five-year-old only child, little boy, and take him by the hand, walk him to the temple, and hand him over to Eli, to to God's service. Because she knew, she told God, if you answer this prayer, I'll give him to serve you. And then after that, guess what? Kids, 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 kids. She had, she was abundantly fruitful in that way. And he became the greatest prophet. He did. Um, But again, the part that really impacts me is in that moment, everything changed. She chose to believe and she went forward having cast that care to God. So today, where does, you know, Kind of how, where does that leave us? You know, in the Old Testament, the priest was the mediator between God and man. So now it's just us and God, right? And it's a matter of us casting our cares to God, trusting him that he has it, and then going forward refreshed, right? So in closing, I want to tell my last little story that I think is appropriate for Mother's Day. And if you've heard this story before, I'm sorry, you're going to have to hear it again, but I think it works for, for Mother's Day. But um, back when Nana was married to my dad years and years ago. She had a health issue, um, not to give you more info than you really need, but basically when she was a child, she got a blood transfusion, a wrong one. And then they had to quickly fix that, but it did what something, it's called sensitize your blood. So later, when she got pregnant, uh, there's a condition called erythroblastosis fatalis, and that basically is a fancy way of saying when the mother's RH factor and the baby's RH factor are different. If you don't do something to fix that, the mom's body attacks the baby. Well, for everybody else that this happens to, you get what's called a Rogam shot, and that fixes it. But for Brenda, for Nana, because she had gotten that wrong blood transfusion as a child, and because she, her blood was now sensitized, she wasn't a candidate. There's nothing they could do. So, first child, makes it, is born, dies, not long after. Second child, full term, stillborn. 
third child, even shorter but full term, stillborn. So what happens with erythroblastosis fatalis is that the antibody levels in the mom build up more and more. So the time that the child can survive in the womb is shorter and shorter. There's more things they're fighting the baby, right? So they told her, this isn't gonna, you're never going to have a kid. It's impossible. It just, at this point, you won't even carry. She probably wouldn't have carried out of like the second trimester. So they went ahead and put an IUD in. And if you guys know, an IUD is like a, it's placed. It's not like a pill you take every day. It's like a semi-permanent uh, birth control in that it's, uh, it, it's placed in a woman's body and it takes care of it and it's good for five to ten years, depending on the type of, of uh, IUD it is. Well, guess what? A year after it's placed, she's pregnant. She goes into the gynecologist, and he's like, I don't know what to say. It's gone. Disappeared. Didn't fall out. Didn't get hung up somewhere. Gone. So at this point, I think a lot of really reasonable people would think it would be a reasonable thing for her to terminate the pregnancy. Because why would you put yourself through this again, right? They have said you have no chance of having a baby that will live. Um... Why go through the pregnancy knowing that the baby's just going to die? But she really felt like Hannah in 1 Samuel. And that God was saying to her, um, you know, she kind of had that moment of believing and being refreshed and setting her face that I'm not going to terminate this pregnancy. I'm going to believe God. So they would do amniocentesis like every month. This is where they stick a needle in your womb and take the amniotic fluid out to kind of test the levels of uh, my health and as in, to kind of determine when it was. They want to keep the baby in the womb as long as possible, but then it becomes clear that her body is killing me. They need to do the, the uh, cesarean section. And uh, so they uh, got to the point where they had done an amniocentesis. It was at least a month or two early. And so they did a C-section, and they told her, don't get your hopes up. There's less than a 1% chance this child's going to be able to live. Because I already had all this terrible blood coursing through my veins, killing me. And uh, they gave me a blood transfusion, and then they gave me another one, and they gave me another one, and they gave me seven. And miracle of miracles, I didn't die within like the first week. But then they told her, well, there's been so much damage done, she's probably going to be... Uh, either profoundly like a vegetable or intellectually disabled because her body has undergone way too much damage. So if she ends up living, if she comes out of ICU, um, you probably shouldn't have a lot of high hopes for this child because she went through a lot during the time that she was in the womb. So long story short, um, contrary to what my family might think sometimes, I don't think I have any intellectual disabilities. Um... And, you know, even the doctors called me a miracle. Um, and she didn't tell me, she was smart not to tell me uh, about the dedication to God part because I was a stubborn teenager until later on. But I think that part of the dream came true. I mean, that part of her, the story came true where she told the Lord, you know, I'm going to uh, dedicate this child to your service. And she uh, dedicated uh, me as a baby to serve him and to work for him. So as I was preparing this message, this is the point that really, um, this is the point that I really landed on that I think I wanted to, I think the other, all the other points are important and I want to pray with us about self-care and taking care of ourselves. But the part that really hit home for me was um, casting your cares 
and not losing hope. I think many of us probably came today, we come from all different situations, and I won't suppose to know what area in your life maybe you are losing hope, but to be like Hannah, who went before the Lord, she cast her cares, and then she left refreshed, refreshed trusting God. And then he performed it in her life. So right now, my question to you is, number one, which of these areas do you think are, are places that you need to take better care of yourself? Just one. Come away with one, even. That uh, you feel like I've given you the scriptural permission here to make time for yourself as a mom or as any of you in here, that you're worth caring for, you're worth setting aside time to take care of yourself. Secondly, what I'm going to pray for is um, situations where maybe you have lost hope and you've come today with a situation where you don't even know that you want to pray anymore about it, you don't know um, if God is hearing you, and you want to be like Hannah at the altar and just give it to God and have your countenance changed, trusting and believing, not caring that, you know, like it was doing to her, the burden she was carrying over the hopelessness of her situation, to be like Hannah, to give it to God, and to uh, leave here today refreshed. That's my prayer. So can we all bow our heads? God, you know where each one of us in here is today, uh, moms and people who aren't moms. Hannah was an amazing example in her motherhood to us. So first, as moms, God, we choose to trust you because worrying and carrying the the burden of being a mom, um, it just says that we don't trust you, God. So we choose to trust you. We trust that you love our kids more than we do. We trust that you see them. We trust that sometimes they're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, but that you can bring them to the other side and that you work all things for good to those that love you, God. We trust you that you see our children, you see every situation they're in, and you are leading and guiding them and you're leading and guiding us as their parents, God. But right now, God, for every one of us that have an area in our life that we need hope, like Hannah, who had given up pretty much to the point that she was just desperate, acting like a drunk person in the temple, that's the place that she had gotten to with it. Think of that thing right now and say, God, I choose to trust you. I choose to not lose hope. If we don't have hope as believers, I don't know what we have. We place our trust in you, God. Just visualize yourself right now lifting up your burden and giving it to God. And don't allow it to creep back in and cause you pain, cause you worry, cause you to lose sleep. Keep yourself on a tight leash. God, help us to be aware, not in a condemning way, but Holy Spirit, quicken us 
to know that we're not allowed to pick that back up and allow it to control our lives. Whether it's finances, our children, our job, our health, we choose to trust you, God. We put our hope in you today. And as we hand it off to you, God, we are refreshed, we are relieved, and we are at peace. In Jesus' name. So today, honor your mom. No matter what kind of relationship you have with her, doesn't matter. The Bible says to honor your mom and it will go well with you. Honor your dad and it will go well with you. So I pray today, take your mom out. I'm taking, we're taking Miss Brenda out and feeding her a bunch of meat. Because that's what she likes. She is not going for the tofu that I try to whip out at the house. She is not having it. So we're taking her to eat a bunch of meat today. Um, and uh, John's going to call his mom today. Do something on your mom. And I have, and for those of you in here today, honestly, go through these with your mom. I know you don't have these. You might have to write them down. And ask your mom, which one of these can I help you work into your life? Which one of these do you need? Do you need to take a nap? Do you need to go do something fun? Do you need to get together with friends? Let's make that happen. Honor them by helping them make this happen in their lives. Awesome. You know, Hope's testimony should give all of us hope about anything. Because not only is she not uh, intellectually hampered, but she was student of the year at San Diego State University. And now she's in a Ph.D. program to be an epidemiologist, which is a research scientist to help uh, um, find cures for, um, well, preventable diseases. And so... Here, she was attacked with a disease that was supposed to kill her, but what did God do? Made her an epidemiologist to help um, find cures for diseases. What redemption. What a God. What a God. And Miss Brenda's dedication to her, she had a full-ride scholarship, uh, and she turned it down because Jesus called her to the mission field. So she turns down a full-ride scholarship to a university to go on the mission field. And uh, Jesus appears to her in a dream and asks her to take care of two special needs children. And now we have two kids that just bring so much joy to our lives. And they're just awesome. And they're, do- and they're, and they're doing the laundry. You know, so I mean, <laughs> there's, there's no downside. There's no downside, so... What a great message, honey. That was so good. There's nothing more important. We're going to leave today. I'm going to show you a brief video. There's nothing more important on this side of heaven uh, than salvation. Because no matter how much we suffer, or no matter how many victories we have on this side of heaven, they're all temporary. The suffering is temporary. The victory is temporary. What is eternal is our destiny, either with God or without God forever. So there's a crusade coming next Sunday night. Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, has taken over his dad's ministry. And they've picked seven cities that are going to be hitting on the West Coast doing crusades. I want to show you a 90-second video of a crusade coming to San Diego, to Escondido, next Sunday evening. So check out this video, and we'll, we'll, uh, then I'll pray and we'll be gone. Huh? Yeah. Um, 